Crossing family, it is so good to be with you. We have a message today that we hope will not only uh, increase your thankfulness to God, but also unleash a power for everyday living in your life. I want to welcome you to join in here and all of our different locations, online and inside. And if you are joining us for the first time or the first time in a long time, I want you to take full advantage of the QR code that's on the seat in front of you. It's a great way for you to take your next step. Uh, get a chance to get some of your questions answered and become more connected. I need to do a little cleanup. After last week's message, I received uh, a text message from a disgruntled wife about some of the um, some of the uh, implications of that message. Uh, she was specifically identifying a frustration that she had with her husband because she had left uh, some trash by the garage door, and uh, after that sermon, he felt empowered to just step over it and go about the rest of his day. And people don't always come to me for marriage counseling, but I'm, I'm kind of known as a problem solver. And so I, uh, I leveraged some software that I have. Um, you guys could have access to this too. But I just typed in her address and uh, I sent her this picture of her house and how far it is from their inside garage door all the way to the trash can. I circled the 23 feet, sent it back to her. Um, I haven't heard back from her yet. Um, what I can tell you is she's friends with my wife, and uh, my wife has taken up her offense, and there is a furniture sale for couches in most of our uh, communities, and I've been doing some couch shopping. So I wouldn't necessarily reach out to me in the future, but I just want you to know uh, I'm here to help, okay? I'm here, I'm here for you. Uh, today we are continuing in this sermon series, and I have asked someone to come and help me preach it. And uh, I want to introduce you to Caleb Greenleaf. He joins us from our Macomb location. He grew up going to church. Uh, he was dragged there by his parents and he hated it. Some of you are like, oh, I know this story. Uh, maybe you had that experience as well. Well, at 18, he was given the choice and he left the church and he headed off to college. Fast forward a couple years, he's a student at Western Illinois University and he is pursuing all the things that the world has to offer. Then one day, a friend invited him to a Thursday night service at our Macomb location. And while Jerry was preaching, he was talking about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and asked the question, do you know what you're reading? The eunuch responded, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And it was on that Thursday night that Caleb learned that he could have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He filled out a connection card and checked the box saying he wanted to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And the next week, he started that relationship, accepted that invitation to start an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ and was baptized. Then he started getting connected with the campus there, ended up going on mission trips, started to work as a part of our Crossing Kids Extra, which is an after-school program that we have at our Macomb and our 48th Street location. Then when we purchased the camp, he was one of the first employees that started working at Crossing Camp the summer it first opened. Then during Wreck the Roof, he came on as a developer to learn about what it means to be in ministry and decide that he wanted to go into full-time ministry. Then he got hired as the student pastor at the Macomb location and is now the associate campus pastor there. The reason I'm telling you all that, it's amazing what God can do with one invitation to church. And uh, it's amazing what God can do if you just keep saying yes to whatever he's asking you to do. And so, would you guys please give a warm welcome to Caleb Greenleaf as he joins me on stage. 
Last time, man. Let's do it. <clears throat> so good to be here. Thanks for having me. And I don't want to single anybody out or uh, name any names, but I just want you all to know that I do not have fragile Texas skin, okay? okay. Uh, I'm, I'm from here, and so I don't need any extra coats. I'm very used to this weather. I've been doing Illinois winter since I was about this big, so no need for extra coats. But I need to give a huge shout-out to all my people in Macomb. You know I love you, and I love this church. The Crossing is dedicated to making leaders, and because of that dedication, they took a risk on me, they invested in me, and now because of that investment, I'm on this roller coaster of a ride called full-time ministry, and I am so blessed to be here. So thank you so much, Crossing Church. So today, we are going to continue in our collection of sermons on the book of John, and we'll find ourselves in John 14, 15, and 16. If you're reading uh, along in the Bible reading plan, or you have a kind of Bible that has red letters, you'll notice that this chunk of scripture is dripping in red ink. Jesus is pouring out his heart with the, re with the few remaining hours he has left with his closest disciples before he leaves on a journey to the cross. So last week, Clayton and Cole walked us through what to do when God does not make sense. They gave us some tools to help navigate this and help us understand that we don't want a God that makes sense. We actually should be thankful for a God who doesn't make sense. However, what do we do when life doesn't make sense? Some of you today are no doubt just barely hanging on. Due to situations you're in, decisions you've made, challenges you are facing, and if you could put all of your thoughts and feelings into one phrase, you might be saying, I'm just hanging on. Maybe some of you have been in a tug-of-war match before at some point in your life, or maybe you grew up with a rope swing over the water, and you know it can be incredibly difficult to hold on to that rope, especially as the weight and the tension increase. So you know what you do? You tie a knot in that rope. Or maybe you tie two or three or maybe even four knots into that rope. Because the more knots you have, the easier it is to hang on to. And sometimes as we read through scripture, we need some knots to tie to our faith so that we can hold on. And some of the very best knots in scripture are the promises of God. Anytime you find a promise in scripture, it is an invitation from God to step into a new reality and a deeper relationship with him. So as we start going through these chapters today, Clayton and I's desire is not only for you to see the promises, but to take a hold of these promises and apply them to your heart and to your life. In just three chapters, by my count, there are 24 promises. 24 promises. And so to make this easier for us to all understand, I've prepared a 72-point sermon that hopefully <laughs> I can fit into two hours so that we're all on the same page. Anybody looking forward to that? No, I'm not either, okay? There's no way I could sit to, through even 24 promises. But today, Clayton and I have highlighted some of the big ones. And throughout this week, you can scan that QR code to read along with the Bible reading plan with us so that you can see all 24 that are for you in Christ Jesus. So here is promise number one, John chapter 14, verses one through four. This is what Jesus says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. 
If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Right off the bat, Jesus gives us this twofold promise. He says, God is preparing a place for me and is coming back for me to take me to the place he has prepared. Now I want you to know, Crossing Church, that this promise, these promises we're going over today are not just for me. They're not just for Clayton. They're for all of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're going to read all of these promises together. So at all of our locations, read this promise with me. God God is preparing preparing a place place for me me and is is coming coming back for me to take me to the the place he has prepared. So many of us get caught up in the lower story. Our happiness, our possessions, our purpose are so rooted here on earth. We get trapped in the lower story. This promise that Jesus is making us is so profound because it causes us to lift our eyes and see the upper story. It helps us to see beyond the temporary and brings the eternal into view. Because we need to constantly be reminded that this world is not our home, that this is not all that there is. This is good news if you're looking at your life and it hasn't turned out the way you thought it would turn out. It wasn't as easy as you thought it would be. It's not going the way you wanted it. Jesus is saying, this is not it. I am making an eternal home for you. You are simply a traveler. You are merely passing through. But not only is he preparing a place for you, he is promising that once he has created it, made it just right, he will actually come back and take you to be with him. That's good. Here's promise number two, John chapter 14, verses five and six. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here is promise number two. Read it with me, Crossing Church. I can get to God through Jesus. You can get to God through Jesus. The promises of God are useful to those of us who consider ourselves Jesus followers. When Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life, you can take a hold of the promises that Jesus makes here and other places in Scripture. And it's because of what Jesus did on the cross, Jesus' redemptive work on your behalf. And some of these promises, though, can be really uncomfortable, especially when we think through them from the mindset of someone who's not a believer. It's offensive. But this does not keep Jesus from saying it, though. He does not want us to miss this. Jesus made a way for every man, woman, and child to get to God. And not just a God, the God of the universe. Jesus not only made a way, he is the way. And he makes it very clear, there is no other way. No one gets to God except for those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, period. You can't get to heaven by doing enough good things. That's just not how it works. You can't get to heaven through any other religion. You can't get to heaven by ending world hunger. Only through Jesus. The promise here, there is a way to God, which is huge. The caveat is, there is only one way to get there, and his name is Jesus. Yes, 
This can be offensive to others, but it's not offensive to us. Clayton, can you tell them why it's not offensive to us? The reason this isn't offensive to us is because everybody with a religious bone in their body has a desire to connect with God. It is woven into our hearts. And when you look at the spiritual landscape, there is a huge difference between what Jesus teaches and what you hear from every other religion. For instance, if you are a Muslim, it's through works. For Jews, it's through following the Torah. For Buddhists, it's by the elimination of desire. For Hindus, it's through self-actualization. But for Christians, our way to God is through Jesus Christ. It's not based on our efforts. It's not based on our works. It's based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross and our acceptance of that work over and in our lives. This is a huge knot that God is trying to give us to hang on to, that my access to God is not based on me, it's based on him. If it was up to me, I couldn't fix it. If it was up to me, I had all, I've already made too much of a mess of it to put it back together. This is incredibly good news. However, there's a temptation for people to go, well, that's not my truth. Uh, there's a temptation for people to go, that's just too narrow-minded. That's not open-minded enough, especially in 2022. However, come here for a second. Let's say you go to the doctor, and you're not doing so well. The doctor says, well, if you want to get this fixed, not a problem. I just need you to take uh, these pills, and we're going to do a couple, you know, we're going to do some things. Yeah, ah, uh, Doc, I mean, I know you went to school and everything, but I have Facebook. And uh, I think I'm going to eat more carrots. And doctor looks at you and goes, that's great, carrots are good for you. But uh, you have a broken leg, and carrots don't <laughs> fix that. Well, I thought, hold on, doc. I'm not just going to eat carrots. I'm also going to dabble in a little bit of this. It's called walking. I'm going to walk a lot, and I'm going to eat carrots. Doctor says, well, when you have a broken leg, I'm just going to give you a heads up. That ain't going to work out well for you. And then you get out of your chair, and you start walking. You go, doctor, why, are, why does this hurt so bad? Why is this not working? Doctor says, because I, I told you that that's the exact opposite of what you should do. This medicine is designed to take away the pain, put you to sleep so I can set this sucker. How many of us? So here's God saying, look, I have a perfect plan for you, and it is the plan that works. This is not narrow-minded. It's called truth. Hmm. And Jesus is inviting us into the truth of him so you and I can have access to God. That's so good. Here's promise number three. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Here's promise number three. Read it with me, Crossing Church. I, I am, am not alone. alone. God's spirit, spirit is with me and, and will not abandon me. I got a question for you with this one. Do you know the difference between feeling something and being something? Here's what I mean. All of us 
know what it feels like to experience loneliness. We all know what loneliness feels like. But how many of us have truly been abandoned? Had a spouse walk out on you? Had a parent leave you stranded? Been thrown out of the family? Excommunicated? Disowned? Disavowed? Cut off? See, there is a difference between feeling lonely and actually being abandoned. And for those of us who belong to the family of God, you may feel lonely at times, but there's always going to be a place for you at God's table. He will never throw you out. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you because he has sent his Holy Spirit to prove it to you. That the Spirit of God lives inside of us as believers and he will not turn his back on himself or us. That means that no matter how dark life gets, no matter how dire the circumstances, no matter how painful the situation, you and I serve a God who is always present with us. So when we feel the distance between us and God, it's never physical. It's like when my wife and I get into an argument, which probably doesn't happen to you, so uh, just bear with me. But when we get into an argument, at the end of the day, we still get into the same bed. She hasn't left. She hasn't abandoned me. She is still there. The distance that her and I experience in that moment is emotional. She has not abandoned me. And God is telling us that he is not going anywhere. He is right next to you always. And when it feels like he is distant, it is spiritual, not physical. And this distance that we experience, this spiritual distance, is never on him. It's always on us. When we experience this distance, it's because we are believing a lie about God. That he isn't there. That he doesn't love us. That he isn't really in control. When you experience this spiritual distance, which one of these lies are you believing about God? Because they're all not true. Mm. He does love you. He will not leave you. He is in control. They are all not true. He is there with you always. Or maybe it's not a lie that you believe. Maybe you're forgetting something about the very character of God. Our God does not change. He was the same yesterday as he is today and tomorrow. He will not leave you. That's why David says this in Psalm 139. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there too. Our God will not abandon us. He will not leave you. And that is a promise you can hang on to. Promise number four is found in John 15, one through four. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Promise number four is this. Say it with me now at all of our locations. God will prune me and shape me for productivity. 
Jesus uses some pretty powerful imagery here as he begins to talk to his disciples and those of us who will follow after him. So in this specific passage, Jesus refers to himself as the true vine. And to the Jews of his day, this would have connected immediately. All throughout the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as the vine or the vineyard. But when Israel is referred to as the grapevine in this way, it's always about how Israel has not been fruitful. The prophet Isaiah says that the vine of Israel produced sour grapes. The grapes on the vine of Israel are wild. Jeremiah calls Israel a degenerate and strange vine. And Hosea says Israel's vine is empty. There are no grapes on this vine. All of these illustrations show us that the whole point of planting a vineyard is to grow grapes. Who knew, right? If you're a vineyard, you better have grapes to show for it. And if there are no grapes, then there is no use for the vineyard. Jesus here is telling us that he is the true vine that came out of the unfruitful Israel. And he tells us that there is a purpose to following him. There is a purpose to following Jesus. We are to produce grapes. He is the vine. We are the branches. Through him, we are to produce fruit. And here's the thing about growing grapes. It can take a really long time to grow grapes. Once you plant a grape seed, it can take up to three years before you get any grapes at all. And I don't have that kind of patience whatsoever. And throughout all of those years where you have no grapes, you have to prune the grape plant over and over and over again. Here's what God is promising us, that he will be our good gardener. He will be your good gardener. He will cut out the things that don't need to be there so that one day there will be fruit. Pruning is not fun though, is it? Uh, Raise your hand if you like being told that you are wrong. Yeah, this is my church. Uh, raise your hand if you've been told that you're wrong. All the married people. Okay, yeah, all right. That's what happens. All of us, we have this desire to be better. We want to be a better spouse. We want to be a better parent. We want to be a better friend. We want to be a better boss. We want to be a better neighbor. We want to be better. And we want to be a better reflection of Jesus to a watching world. We want to make a better and a bigger difference. And what Jesus is saying, yeah, in order to do that, I'm going to have to cut some stuff out that needs to be cut out of your life. No coach, or no coach, when he's running his practice, is going to be like, hey, guys, today's just another fun day. We're going to be sampling Gatorade, <laughs> right? A good coach is going to make you do some conditioning because when the game matters the most, you want to make sure you still have your legs. Pruning is never fun, but it is always fruitful. Mm. Here's promise number five, John chapter 15, verses five through eight. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Hmm. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Here's the promise. Read it with me, Crossing Church. If, if I, I remain, remain, I will, will bear, bear fruit. fruit. 
the biggest question here in my mind is what does it mean to remain? What does remaining mean? I like to picture this like a little kid in their favorite movie. Some of you remember what it's like to be a little kid, or others of you have little kids or grandkids of your own. And you know that you can ask any child what their favorite movie is, and they will tell you all about it. And you will get more information than you bargained for. They will just go off about this movie. They can quote every line from the movie. They can sing you every song from the movie. And even though they can't read, they can pull it up on Netflix without your help. They know what they're doing. They start to take on the personality traits of the main character. They start to act like the main character on the playground and when they go to school. They've got the main character on their backpacks and their bed sheets. They dress up as the main character for Halloween. They ask for the main character toys for Christmas. And it's all because they've seen this one movie hundreds, if not thousands, of times. They have never met the main character of whatever movie it is, but they know the main character. And we know this to be true for ourselves as adults. Some of you, you grew up in the DC universe and some of you grew up in the Marvel universe and you have strong opinions on both. Uh, some of you, you are, were Star Trek people and some of you, you're Star Wars people and some of you are Star Wars people and you grew up where you got four, five, and six before one, two, and three. And other people, you grew up with one, two, and three, and it's a different world for you. And when the Mandalorian showed up, you had strong opinions about it. And then there's, there's some of you, for you, it's sports. Like, you get it. You're entrenched. You understand what's happening. Uh, because you like football, you're Thursday nights and Sunday afternoons and Saturday or and, uh, you know, Monday afternoon or evenings are just different. Your mood changes on a Saturday based on how your college football team is doing. And you're just in that environment, and you've immersed yourself in it. The other day, I pulled up at a stop sign. A really nice vehicle pulled up next to me, and they had a, a sign on the side of their vehicle that said that they were a part of the, the, the cat club here in Quincy. Apparently, if you have a cat, there's a club. <laughs> you know? So there's that. And I'm sure if you join that club, they have all kinds of stuff and opinions about, and, and I'm sure that I, I, I shouldn't go and I should stop before I say something I shouldn't. But the more you get involved in that environment, what happens? It shapes you. If you're a hunter, the more you're a part of that hunting group of people, it shapes you. If you're a fisher, if you're a knitter, fill in the blank. If you're a baker, the more you remain in that environment, the more it shapes you. And that is what God wants to happen, have happen in us. Jesus asked us to do the same thing with him, to spend so much time with Jesus that we just start naturally acting and thinking like him. This is what it means to remain or abide. When we remain in him, the fruit shows up. When we spend enough time with Jesus, we know what he says about certain things. We know the way he thinks about certain things. We know how he treats others and what's important to him. And eventually, we don't have to think about it anymore. We just start acting like Jesus almost by accident. But Jesus says it's not an accident. Jesus said if you remain in him, you will bear fruit you will start acting like Jesus. And while there is no movie, 
God has given us some serious source material on the matter. He gave us his word. He gave us other believers. And he, like we saw earlier, he gave us his Holy Spirit. So spend time in his word. Read the book over and over and over again. Start with the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These books are literal biographies of your Savior. Look for how he acts and how he responds and what he says. Spend time with his people. Join a life group. Make it intentional. Share what is going on in your life and look for ways that you can better theirs. And spend time alone with his spirit. Listen for God's ever-present voice. What is God trying to teach you right now? If you don't ever slow down to listen for his voice, how do you expect to hear it? So how do you spend time with Jesus? How do you remain? You read the book, hang out with his people, listen to his spirit, and eventually, when you've spent enough time with Jesus, you will start acting like the main character. So let's look back at these five promises and do a quick review. Promise number one, God is preparing a place for you and is coming back for you to take you to the place he has prepared. Even when life is overwhelming or underwhelming and everything in between, we can hang on to the knot that God is preparing a place for us and will come back for us one day. The second promise is this. You can get to God through Jesus. We can rejoice that this is not on us, but it has been provided for us by Jesus Christ. That is how much your God loves you. The third promise is this. You are not alone. God's spirit is with you and will not abandon you. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have been brought into the family of God and you will never be kicked out of that family. Promise four is that God will prune you and shape you for productivity. Pruning is not fun or enjoyable, but it is always fruitful. Like a master sculptor, he is going to remove all of the rough images until his image appears in us. And number five is if you remain, you will bear fruit. And that is the whole point of following Jesus, is to become more like him because he is the most fruitful person who ever lived. So if you put all five of these promises together, you get a couple of things. The first thing that you get is you get a very strong knot in your faith to hang on to, to help you navigate life when it does not make sense. This is a knot you can hang on to. But the second thing that all five of these things put together, it, it makes you an unstoppable force for God and in God's kingdom. Well, how so, you ask? Because you know your future is secure. Your access to God is not dependent on you. You are not alone in this life. You will be molded and shaped by the master of the universe, and you will live a life that makes a difference in this world and the world to come. And it doesn't get much better than that. So Crossing Family, in light of all of these promises, we have so much going for us. We, the world is not stacked against us, though when we look, at, we are or the world is outmatched. Our flesh is outmatched. Our circumstances are outmatched because of all the things that we have going for us in our relationship with God. And these promises are facts, 
When you and I make promises to each other, we both know that there are circumstances that could impact the reality of us being able to operate. I will love you forever. No, you died. You can't stick around forever. I promise I will. No, you can't because things change, but not with God. The moment God speaks a promise, it becomes a fact that you can build your life on. It is as reliable as gravity. It is as sure as sunrises and sunsets. You can build your life on the promises of God. So Crossing Family, we have a choice. We can either receive these and enjoy them and take hold of them in our life, or we can reject, reject them, ignore them, and run from them. And I hope you'll make the right decision. We're moving to a time of decision. If you are in this room here at 48th Street or wherever you're joining us from online, I want to take just a moment and talk to you who've never started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus. All the promises that I just listed and the 24 uh, that are there in these three chapters in the book of John or the over 800 that are in the Bible. They're not yours, but they could be. But the moment you come into a right, saving relationship with Jesus Christ, every single one of those spiritual blessings, every single one of those heavenly promises become your inheritance. But it's not an inheritance that you access in the future. It's an inheritance that you get to access in the here and now. And I just want to encourage you not to put that off. And there might be some of you who have questions about what it means to start that intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I get it because I had questions too. But I want you to know that this is a place where you can ask them. And if you're watching online, you can ask those questions in the chat. And if you're here in this room in just a few moments while the people around you stand and sing and others come to the steps and get down on their knees and pray, I'm going to encourage you to go right over there by the baptistry. And there is somebody who would love a chance to talk with you about what that looks like to the rest of you in the room, to the people who would call themselves Jesus followers. Um, can I ask you two questions? One, are you walking in these promises? Are you living in the middle of these promises? When Jennifer and I moved to Quincy, um, we bought a house and um, the people that built that house many years ago under the influence of Satan uh, planted two sugar maple trees in my yard. And I'm way too cool to be an arborist and even know that they're sugar maples, but I had to figure out what kind of trees I had because I hate these things. Um, if you drive down our street, almost every leaf in all of our other yards, or all the other yards are gone. Ours are like, oh, Clayton, we're not dropping our leaves when it's nice out or windy. No. We're going to wait till you know, it drops to be about 28 degrees. And all your neighbors have put their mowers up. Then we'll just bring it. So that way you can make friends. And historically, I will go out even on thanks I mean, on, on Christmas Day and have to mulch leaves in my yard. Ah, oh, There'll be no sugar maples on my street in heaven. I can promise you that. They are, but by the way, they are beautiful for like three days every year. It really is pretty. 
And what would you do if you came to my house and you saw me out there with chopsticks just picking up leaves? I'm going to get these knocked out. I'll be in in a month, honey. Now listen, if you go to my house, open up my garage door, I'm a man's man. I got a mulch kit on my mower. I've got the leaf vacuum. I've got the leaf blower. I've got the plastic rake. I've got the metal rake. I've got the big trash can that you put them in. I've got big trash bags to crunch them down. I got all the hoo-hoo-hoo stuff. <laughs> but what would you do if I got all that stuff in my garage and I'm out there with chopsticks? And some of you are going, Clayton, you're too fat for chopsticks. That's why God made spoons and forks. I get it, but I like to surprise people. And I'm out there. What would you call me if you drove by my street and you saw me out there picking up leaves with chopsticks? What would you call me? You guys are weak sauce. Like, you're an idiot. I don't trust, you're a moron. You need help. Okay, right? I, I got all these promises. All of these promises going for me in the garage, and then I'm ticked at God. This is taking way too long. This is not working out the way I wanted to work out. I don't even like this stupid tree. I don't like these leaves. My back hurts. My, I'm not able to do the things I wanted to do because this is taking longer than I thought it would take. Hey, moron. The promises are in the garage. And you already have them. Now listen, God is such, this is why I'm not God. You're like, I, is God calling me a moron? No, he just loves the snot out of you. I just want to tell you, stop getting mad at him when he's put all the promises at your disposal. And you're choosing to ignore him and then get mad at him at how long the process and how much pain is going on. It's like, I didn't give you the chopsticks. I gave you the leaf blower. Give you the Kawasaki 3.5 horsepower. That's what I gave you. But you're not using what I gave you and you're getting mad at me. That ain't right. Am I the only crazy person that came to church today? Is there anybody else who left a couple promises in the garage of their life? And I'm just walking around with chopsticks going, I don't even want to go to church today. God ain't been showing up in my life. You guys will be doing that all week. Your wife will start talking and you'll be like, yeah, you're <laughs> And I apologize. Second thing. Second thing, is there any part of you that you're looking back over the landscape of your life and you're going, I got all these promises and I don't deserve a single one. Not a single one of these things that I deserve. But by God's grace, he delivered them, dropped them off at my front door. And no, make no mistake, these promises weren't cheap. They weren't free. Someone paid dearly. And that price was the son of Jesus, or was Jesus Christ, God's son, on the cross for you and for me. And if that doesn't create in us a deep sense of gratitude, I don't know what will. And so if you're in that spot, maybe you're just thankful today, or maybe you're going, God, I need to start living like these promises are in the garage and start putting them to use. 
Would you just get down on your knees and spend some time getting some of that sorted out? Because this world could use some people who are walking in the promises and the power of God. And I say we might as well be us. Would you guys stand with me? God, I'm so thankful that we get to be here today in this place with your people. And God, I pray that you would do a mighty work in us, a work that only you can do. God, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it's not going to take time. But God, we are just tired of trying to do it all on our own power and our own strength. And so we are inviting you in. Thank you for being patient with us, long-suffering with us. In your name I pray, amen.